Hey friends, this is Reiko. You're listening to Jesus in the Center, One Year Bible Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're going to change the format today on day two. This is day number two. Thanks be to God that we have a whole year spread out before us where we can hear God's voice. We want to grow in faith. And how do we get faith? Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's Romans 10, 17. So we pray, oh Lord, give us faith. Help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. And so God will answer that prayer as we read today. Well, today we will not be reading the scriptures. We think you will be able to do that some other place. We're going to make that change. We're just going to make a few thoughts, maybe a prayer about the scriptures. And we also will begin to answer your questions. So today, as you're reading and, and something comes up and you want, want to know uh, or you want to share something, get a hold of me in whatever way that you normally would get a hold of me. And I'll try to answer them. So we do have a question from yesterday. Uh, the question is, Pastor Zach, is, is it possible, and I'm, I'm not quoting here, but these days of creation, are these literal or are they just poetic? And uh, the way we can answer that is from Scripture, it sure seems like the rest of the Bible takes these to be true and literal, that God is the creator. And it's only our wanting to understand how God could do this that makes us doubt. So think for a moment about you know, what the person said, well, how could there be light uh, in the first day or at the very beginning and yet not to be the sun and moon until, you know, the fourth day? This just must be poetic. Well, perhaps, but it sure seems that God can make light even when there is no sunshine, right? That's the way I take it. God, it can make out of nothing. That is our faith, that God creates even our faith out of nothing. Well, I don't know if that answer is satisfying to you. I haven't had much more time to think about it, but that is um, something to think about. Today we are in Genesis chapter 3 and 4. We are in Matthew chapter 2 and 3. We are in Psalm 2, and we are in Proverbs chapter 1. So let's pray. Oh Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, well, this Genesis 3 and 4, man, if we, if we don't start right, if we don't know this, we, we will be struggling with the rest of the Bible. The question really is, how bad off are we? How bad did things go in the garden or in the orchard? Well, we'll look at this. There's so many things here. I won't be able to cover it all today, but I have a lot of thoughts. And so throughout the year, I, I plan to come on back to some of this. But let's take a look. It starts like this, that, and I'm reading here from e e the ESV version. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he comes to the woman, and, and I think that the woman is not alone because it says later that she took some of the fruit and gave to her husband who was there, or gave, gave to the man. So I don't think she's alone, but the serpent keys in on the woman. And he says to her, the question that has been ringing in our ears throughout time, did God actually say? How many times has that question come to you when you want to do something that you don't think is quite right? In fact, you know is wrong. And so you're going to say, well, maybe God wouldn't mind if I did this. Did God actually say I shouldn't fill in the blank, right? Shouldn't sleep with uh, someone outside of marriage. I shouldn't look at this 
I shouldn't gamble in this way. I shouldn't drink as much as I feel like, whatever it might be. Did God actually say? That's the first question that, that comes. And then the next is, it is actually true. You shall, he says, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So he is here accusing God. God must not want you to have life, have fun, be full uh, in the ways that you think you should be. So he accuses. So how many times does this voice come to accuse God? God must not want you to be happy. That's why he let this happen, right? It's still the same thing. And notice, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, this is my own theory. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. That I think the fall has already happened. The, the fall, by the way, that term is not in the Bible. But I think that the, the, the lostness of man has already occurred. The disobedience and the falling away from God and trusting him has already happened. Well, how? Because look, she says this. Remember that in chapter 2, the prologue to this fall, that, that God had given man, Adam, the commands to uh, not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that the day that they ate, they, they would die. But here she adds, Eve here adds, neither shall you touch it lest you die. It is Adam's role to lead his wife. And here it seems like he is exercising more control than he ought, right? He is, um, he is putting extra rules on what God has said. He is, he is the one who has heard God directly and it is his job to take that word, that the message of God and to give it to his wife and to lead his wife. But he is, uh, he is taking more dominion, we can say, than he ought. Anyway, that's my, my theory. Because he says that we can't even touch it. And so maybe he's trying to exercise more control than he should over his wife. Well, the woman saw that it was good for food. It was a delight and, and a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of, it, of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So what was Adam doing? when she was being tempted. He did not correct, you know, the temptation. He did not um, say, you know, hold on, uh, Eve, this is not right. This is not good. No, he went along with it. Uh, he, uh, it says another, it says later that she was deceived. It also says, you know, St. Paul tells us a couple of times in First uh, Timothy and Second Corinthians that the woman was deceived. And, uh, and it's more like that implication is who's really at fault? It's the man. And, you know, I think all men in the church and in the world can stand up and, and say, yes, uh, we have fallen. We are the first to fall. And the wreck that our families are in, it's ultimately on me. And I, and I think that's a call to repentance for men. Now, does that mean that women are off the hook? No, this is just the, the primal story that plays out over and over again. Well, anyway, they ate and all of a sudden, boom. They, they know that they're naked, and now they have shame, they have guilt, and again, this is something we experience uh, from them and also because of ourselves. So they sew fig leaves together and, and made themselves loincloths, and we've been doing that ever since, trying to cover up 
the evil that we've created. And then they hear the sound of the Lord God in the garden, and they hide. And again, this is what we've been doing as well, hide from God. That's why people don't want to go to church. That's why they don't want to talk about the hard things. They want to, I say they, we want to hide. Well, the Lord God asked the question, where are you? He does not really need to know that information. He knows. He asks so that the man and the woman can then admit the truth. And, and the man says, I was afraid. I was naked. I hid myself. And then God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And of course, of course, the Lord God knows. The man then does the same thing that we've been doing ever since and blames God. The woman whom you gave to be, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Wow. Where, what was Adam doing when, the, when his wife was being tempted? Uh, wow. And so when she does fall into temptation because he's not there for her, he blames God who gave him the woman. Wow. What a, what a loser. Right? And then I, I raise my hand and say, that's me too. Right? We all do. And so the woman also says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And again, it's not an excuse, but it is true. Wow. Well, the Lord God is now at battle, at war against this people this, that he has made in his image. They have fallen far, far from him. And so what does he do? Does he fight against them? No, he fights against the enemy that they have then fallen to, the serpent. So it's really important that we get this, this verse 15. This is what some scholars and theologians call the, the first gospel, the proto-evangelion or something like that. And it's this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, literally seed, her seed and her, your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is the story that will play out through the rest. This promise is the story that will play out through the rest of the Old Testament as we read it, that God promises to send a deliverer who will strike with a fatal blow this seed of the enemy. And this seed is one particular man who will come, and in striking the death blow, he will also be struck on the heel. So it won't be a fatal blow, although we'll see for Jesus it is fatal, but it is not a forever fatal blow. He'll rise again from the dead. Anyway, it's so beautiful. That's Genesis chapter 3 that comes with all the, all the tragedy, but yet all the hope that we, we need. And it goes on, and we see the story of Cain and Abel, and um, we, th we think of Cain and Abel, like, here it is, like, I said you would die. They're banished from the garden. They're not going to eat the tree of life so that they're locked in uh, forever in a state of death, right? But they're in mercy. They are prevented from um, almost, you know, becoming uh, statues of death. They will, they will die. They will perish. They will vanish. But it is not the end because uh, they will come to eat of the tree of life uh, when the Redeemer comes. Anyway, that's a lot. But Cain and Abel, you see the, uh, you see the death play out in that whole chapter. And even at the beginning of it, you know, we see Eve who's sort of bitter against her husband and, 
and says, I have, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And, and even the word Cain, it sounds like the word gotten in Hebrew. And that's why he's named that. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. In other words, I, I could, couldn't trust much for you, Adam. Maybe the Lord has given me this Redeemer right now with, the help, with his help. Well, it turns out that Cain is not the hope of the world. In fact, he's a murderer. The Lord rebukes him. It says that sin is crouching at your door and his heart is not right. And it's not about his offering, whether it is sheep or whether it's something from the ground, because we see later in the Old Testament that offerings can also be, you know, the first fruit of, of grain and, and so on, these beautiful gifts from the earth. It's not about that per se. It's about his heart. And we see that if you read uh, Genesis chapter, sorry, Hebrews chapter 11. Well, Cain's bad, but we see his descendants even worse. We see Lamech uh, boasting, he says in verse 24, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. And we see Lamech who, for pretty much no reason, killed a man. Uh, and he's just taking in uh, the line of Cain and doing the same thing. Well, that's Genesis 3 and 4. And then we do see that Seth was born uh, you know, to replace Abel. Anyway, the line of the seed will come through Seth. All right, so let's flip over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, and uh, sorry, Matthew 2, uh, verses, uh, Matthew 2. So let's flip over to Matthew. Here we have four very quick episodes, and here we see that Matthew is uh, very much a man of his time. He is writing like the rabbis would write. He's going to share a story and then share how this fulfills the scripture. They would often do this where they take a, a verse from scripture and they would make a commentary on it. Um, and so that's what Matthew is doing. He has four stories and all of these are a fulfillment. They're something in Jesus's life that fulfills scripture. The first one is his flight to Egypt. And he's quoting from Hosea there, out of Egypt, I have called my son. And this is an obscure verse, but it's probably Hosea chapter 11. And this Hosea verse is beautiful. That story is one where God is faithful to his people, even when his people are unfaithful to him. And then we see the story how Jesus, after living in Egypt, he returns to Nazareth. He's a hunted man, but there's a new king in town. And verse 23 is somewhat obscure and confusing. It says, He went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And scholars scratched their head, like, where is this quoted of the Messiah, that he would be a Nazarene? And I think it's more the principle of the thing, that he, a Nazarene was a, a man who was set apart, uh, like Samson and others were, were Nazarenes. They had a vow that they would take to be set apart for the Lord. I think that's the idea here, not that, not per se that he is strictly a Nazarene, because a Nazarene wouldn't eat, um, wouldn't drink wine, and so on. We see Jesus, you know, turning water into wine and things like this, and and taking the cup, uh, at the Last Supper, and so on. So he's not strictly a Nazarene, but he is set apart. And I think it's a play on, on the town where he he goes. He goes to the town of Nazareth, which you don't have to live in Nazareth to be a Nazarene, but. Uh, Matthew is just putting these things together. And then we see John the Baptist come, fulfilling the, the word of Isaiah chapter 40. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
And we see that John is out there saying the same thing that Jesus will come to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Good stuff. Well, let's flip over to the psalm today. Psalm 2 is uh, one thing about the psalms, and we'll talk more about this in the future. The things about the psalms is that we need to ask ourselves, who's speaking? Am I speaking to myself? Am I speaking to the Lord? Am I speaking to people? Um, Or I should say, is the author speaking to people? Or is it God speaking to me? Is it God speaking to the nations? You know, who is speaking to who? And in this uh, Psalm 2, you can kind of break it down that there is a, a narrator. You know, he's asking the question, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? And then uh, when you get to verse 7, there is another speaker, and this is the king speaking. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. And then it ends with the narrator in verse 10 again. Therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And one thing we'll see about the Psalms is that they were written for a particular time and place and occasion, and they were used on that occasion, just like we have certain hymns in our hymn book that are used for Christmas or for Easter uh, or for the end of the day and so on. Well, here this was used when a king in the line of David was installed, was ordained as king on a coronation day. And it would have been sung of on Saul for Solomon and, and Josiah and so on. And it's ultimately fulfilled. And we say, well, it's fulfilled in Jesus when? Well, a lot of times, you know, when he was uh, baptized and a voice comes from heaven, this is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Uh, it's repeated on the Mount of Transfiguration when the voice comes and says, this is my son, listen to him. But the Apostle Paul tells us as he's preaching, this is Acts chapter 13, that this was fulfilled on Easter. Uh, Acts 13 is beautiful, verse 33. You can check that out. It's also, you can see in Hebrews 1, Hebrews 5, that this verse is quoted, I will tell the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And uh, this is, um, Jesus is always the son of God. But his, something about his resurrection from the dead proves to the world that he is the son of God. Well, lots to ponder there. And lastly, we just end with this, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, let us fear the Lord, that is, respect him and revere him, be in awe of him. That is the beginning of knowledge. Whereas Eve in the garden thought that the fruit was good for giving wisdom. Well, she was wrong. She was tricked. What is good for giving wisdom? It is the fear of Yahweh, the fear of Jesus Christ. Well, long one today. I've been here around 18, 19 minutes and uh, wasn't planning on taking this long. So if you made it this far, wow, good job. Uh, I pray that God's word as you read it this year, that you grow in faith, you grow in wisdom, and that we all grow in knowledge. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you did not leave us in the garden. You came and walked among us in the cool of the day, but you did not leave us naked and ashamed. You came with a plan to crush our enemy, the devil, and also sin in us, and and also death. You came to vanquish that 
by giving your own life in the tree, which would be for us the tree of life. Oh Lord, I pray this day for all those who are listening, for, for all of us, that we would grow in wisdom. Thank you that you came to fulfill scripture. And I thank you that you are installed as God's king and son forever. And we see that especially in your resurrection from the dead. Thank you for this new year. We, uh, we pray that in this year we would walk with you. Give us faith to be our brother's keeper. Uh, give us faith to know that when we have done wrong, you are there to, uh, you've already made the sacrifice for us so that our, our chin would be turned up, as we say, that your word to, to Cain, if uh, you have faith, your, your chin could be turned up, your face will be lifted back up. And so, Lord, uh, you are the lifter of our head. Do that today in our lives. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, you've been listening to uh, Jesus in the Center, one-year Bible podcast. I don't know how it's going for you on day two, but I, I pray that, um, that you would be encouraged by God's word. Have a great day.